Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am Peter Englert. I am here. You're no longer a series co-host. You're like just a, you know just hanging a co-host, out. just yeah. hanging out. <laughs> uh, I'm here with our co-host Alyssa, Dan, our producer, and then we have uh, two wonderful individuals from our uh, community. We have Ricky, uh, Ricky Frazier, who is uh, the director of volunteers at the Rochester City School District. And we also have Dr. Leslie C. Myers-Small, who is the superintendent of Rochester. And we're having a very important series and conversation on reconciliation. Today, the question we're asking is, why does reconciliation matter to our local schools? Alyssa, I want to just give you the start because... When you walked in, Ricky says, I know who Alyssa is. <laughs> Why don't you just kind of say what you're, you know, as you think about this question, your experience at Browncroft, or, you know, just get us started. Yeah. So um, over the last year or so it, within my role, we've been working with um, the mayor's office and the Faith in Action Adopt the School program. And so we have three adopted schools. Um school 10 school 28 and pinnacle school number 35 so those we've developed relationships with them over the past years whether that's like um providing food care packages or just i mean my heart is definitely for the staff and the teachers just to encourage them especially um all the craziness of covid and the changes that happened so just to encourage them as they are taking care of needs that are bigger than just education. So that has been um, a big piece of the last you know, year for me in my role. But um, yeah, just learning about the schools, learning about the needs, the physical and emotional needs. And just we've got a, tons of Browncrafters that are really willing to serve in different ways so whether that's like providing food or I know we've done tutoring in the past and um yeah just showing I don't know just being in our schools and caring about the people that um are taking care of the kids of Rochester so yeah man that's a great way to get started (laughs) I think one of the reasons we wanted to have this interview also was um you know whatever city or town or county you live in news is always talking about education and um i think there's a story with the rochester uh, city school district that's not being told from what you just said and as we think about reconciliation and i think about education it's been what we've been talking about in this podcast which you know we've talked about the pandemic we've talked about politics we've talked about um racial injustices and so I think looking through the perspective of these two leaders and our schools is going to be very beneficial. So Dr. Myers-Small and um, Ricky, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. And I do want to give a shout out to the mayor's office and Tracy Miller for the Faith in Action Project, because that really um, typifies, in my opinion, what Jesus wants us to do, what he calls us to do, and to move outside of the four walls of our church and to really just get out into the community and spread the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. I think too many times people think Christians just proselytize and beat them over the head about getting saved and knowing, or, or, you know, they're going to hell and the fire and brimstone. And this particular project really, you didn't need to do that because the teachers, our students, our scholars, our families just really saw 
the love of Christ and just whether it's the tutoring or supporting with uh, refrigerators or, fo or food or clothing. To me, that's just such, such a blessing. And mm -hmm. I, I really believe that's just what the Lord would want us to do, mm -hmm. right? To just to show his love. Yeah. Man, that's a great way to start the, <laughs> this interview. Let me start with both of you. Um, how did you start serving in education? You know, where did that passion come from? How did you land? Why don't you both just share a little bit of your stories? You want me to go first? So <laughs> mine is probably more non-traditional. So as a native Rochesterian, um, I attended, I am a graduate of the Rochester City Schools, a proud alumni. Mm. And um, after I finished high school, I went to, I was telling um, Pastor Peter that I went to Xavier University in New Orleans at HBCU for a couple years, mm -hmm. um, had some money and some other issues, came back, and I spent probably most of my working time at Kodak. Mm -hmm. And so a name you don't hear too much in the community. So even at working at Kodak, I was always um, involved with the community. Was uh, My parents instilled in me about giving back, following that golden rule. So I always had a heart for students, always had a heart for um, you know, the community. And so naturally, Kodak kept laying off and I kept saying, Lord, I want to be able to walk out of Kodak <laughs> and not get the pink slip and had many experiences of going into meetings. And I have my piece of paper here and learned that I would not look at my supervisor. I would look at the desk. If it was a thin sheet of paper, you still had a job. Mm -hmm. If you had a thick sheet of, or a packet, you knew that you were being impacted and being laid off. Mm -hmm. So God opened the door that I was able to get in the position that I was in and um, just being able to be a blessing to our community, being a blessing to bring volunteers in and just supporting the community and projects like Faith in Action has been a blessing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, my journey is, I call it accidentally on purpose, I got into um, education. But I'm a firm believer in the scripture that says the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by God. And that's often my prayer. I'm like, Lord, I just want to walk in the footsteps that you've ordered for me. And so I went to high school, graduated locally, went to the University of Rochester because I knew I wanted to be a medical doctor. Mm. And so I went to U of R because they have the medical school. And I figured at least undergrad, I'll get a great education and I'll get exposed. But um, certainly the Lord had something else for me. And it's it's a very long story that I'll make very short. Um, I was praying on an airplane, my parents had given me a trip to the Bahamas, and I said, Lord, I just want to, I want to do your will. I want to fulfill what you have for me. And I, you know, some people call it intuition or inner voice or that quiet voice, but the Holy Spirit clearly spoke to me and said, just look at your hands. I was reading the book by Ben, Dr. Benjamin Carson, Carson Gifted Hands, and I was like, okay, what, what, what is it? And he said, you know, you, it's, it's in you. And what are you good at? And I was always the one that would mediate neighborhood fights, you know, who got picked last for kickball or whatever. And I was like, well, I'm good at talking to people and helping people mediate. And, you know, I had a very difficult um, family upbringing. You know, father was an alcoholic and, um, you know, we had some abuse in the home between my parents. And I was counseling them at 10 years old, right? Mm -hmm. I was a counselor. And so I was like, okay, what could I do? Okay, I could be a what? I was like, okay, I like children. I could be a school counselor. And from that plane ride, uh, a few months later, I was accepted into grad school at the U of R right back. 
And um, the Lord allowed me to have my tuition completely paid for, mm -hmm. so I didn't have to come out of my pocket for that, except for books and some other things. And I became his high school counselor. And so as you think now, my career started almost 30 years ago in the Rochester City School District. The Lord let me come back, and that's my goal is to finish my career and to retire. Um, but as a superintendent, more times than not, you start as a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. And then you work up the ranks. But I, I have a non-traditional path as well. But, you know, if you think about the things, especially being in the midst of COVID, what am I doing? I'm using unconditional positive regard. I'm clarifying. I'm making sure that competing interests or agendas or disagreements, you know, I'm working to try and balance that out. I have to be a good listener. Mm -hmm. I have to reflect back, right? And so those counseling skills that often are scoffed at if, if a superintendent comes up that way have, have really been so beneficial for me in my role. Mm. So why, why are counseling skills scoffed at in just, I feel like in a school setting, yeah. in all areas, it's probably pretty good to have. Why? Well, well, you're, well it, you're talking to someone that has a four-year degree in psychology. Like, I'm, I'm married to a mental health counselor. <laughs> yeah. so like, that's, wait, this yeah. is important. In administration, <laughs> it is because I think too many times people think administration is just teaching and learning, right? right? Mm. But look at what we just went through yeah. as far as a major pandemic. Mm -hmm. We're going through, in our community, we're seeing uh, protests and social advocacy and social justice. Um, and so a lot of what I do... I have a deputy superintendent that oversees teaching and learning, but a lot of what I have to do is to make sure again that I'm keeping people the the waters calm. That you know, parents who are saying, "Why isn't school open up five days right. a week?" to parents who are saying, "You should stay remote," mm -hmm. and then everything in between. You have to be able to balance that and have a sense of calm, and to be able to negotiate that um, well. So. It's not that counseling or mental health is scoffed at in an educational setting, but in the administrative ranks, yeah. it's just not as common for you to for an individual to have that background. Hmm. Now, I, I I didn't know we were going to go this direction, <laughs> but I love it. You know, do you when you both sit in a meeting, um, and and you have perspectives? You've been at the you know the school district for thirty years but you worked as a school th psychologist, you worked for Kodak. Do you ever feel like there's something that you don't get or do you always feel like thankful for your perspective because it's outside of school? Because that's not typical, at least in my experience to schools because you, know, you were a school psychologist, you worked for Kodak. How does that help you? What might be some challenges as you kind of lead in mm. education? I don't know. I think that... I appreciate having divergent um, perspectives on things, mm -hmm. right? If everybody agrees with Leslie all the time, that's a problem, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. I have some ideas that sometimes people are like, <laughs> what the? Woo! <laughs> um, so I want, I want individuals to have a different perspective, and especially if you haven't come up through the education ranks, mm -hmm. right? I think that's so important because we do get a little – educational ease, right? Like we know this, we're the educators. But when you have that different perspective um, at the table, so for example, for me, I have 13 members in my cabinet. And when the business official speaks up, my CFO, 
says something about education, it makes me think because she is coming from such a completely per perspective mm -hmm. than education, right? Or if human resources speaks up. Um, so I think that's so important and valuable. And I think you just have to be a secure enough leader to be okay with people, you know, as long as it's, a, as it's respectful, challenging, like, well, wait a minute, Leslie, did you, did you take this into consideration or did you think about that? I don't know what your thoughts are, Ricky. So I would agree. I think for me, coming from a more corporate standpoint into yeah. education, it's a more business-like. And so when I look at educators, as a general thing, they're uh, more softer <laughs> and, you know, you don't, you're quieter and you don't want to raise your voice and you tend to be like the even kill. Yeah. Um, where from a business standpoint, what I find in the educational setting, I, I sometimes have to check myself because I'm more business is just cut and dry. Mm -hmm. It's just, why are you doing that? This doesn't make any sense. It should be a different way. So for me, it's been a balance in certain situations and with certain mm -hmm. groups of people is offering that perspective where I feel that the wheels are turning and they're about to come off. I feel sometimes that my role is to let's bring the wagon back in center and let's take a pause, mm -hmm. let's take a check of the pluses and minuses so that we can move forward. Again, being respectful of individuality because again, um, education is about, it should be about diversity and thought mm -hmm. because right. that's what we wanna teach our mm -hmm. students. And so um, just making sure that that balance and, and one of the things that, um, that Dr. Myers don't even know, so one of the things that I have prayed for within the last year for me is more wisdom and more favor. And certainly with things like um, um, being given assignments from the superintendent, like faith in action has been a blessing to me because behind the scenes um, in anything, you're gonna have those, those problems. Mm -hmm. But again, part of it is, is looking at the bigger prize that this is benefiting our students. This is being a blessing to churches and those faith-based partners. Um, has kept me kept me balanced to say, yeah, I can do I can deal with those little minor problems mm -hmm. because in the bigger scheme, right. I'm gonna laugh about them a week later. At the moment, I'm, I'm like taking the two little hairs I have left in my head, <laughs> but knowing that in the bigger picture, all things work together for good That's that right. I can I can push forward mm -hmm. for the benefit of our students. Well, one of the reasons why I love where we're going, and I kind of want to hear at some point painting a picture for this year, but I actually think this is a good place. You two with a non-traditional route in education are doing some seemingly non-traditional things. One of my favorite things Ricky said, I'm a proud alum of the Rochester City School District. Why don't you both take a moment just to share some of the things that you're doing that might be different to some of our audience when they think of education, of how you're connecting students to the community, you know, a little bit of this faith in action. There's, There seems to be a, a list, you know, from my conversations with you of what you're doing. Why don't you take a moment to share a little of that? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things, I want Ricky to really expound on faith in action because that has been such a blessing. Mm -hmm. So I won't um, touch that other than say, it's been incredible to see how our community has been so incredibly philanthropic to the Rochester City School District. And, you know, I think for me, what has been so heartwarming is that folks have not given up on us, mm. right? Because we've had, you know, failure academically. We've not been as strong as other school districts. 
We have had difficulty relative to the finances, right? I mean, RCSD in some people's vernacular is a four-letter bad word, mm-hmm. right? And so with me being there almost a year, people haven't given up on us. And that, that just, it makes me, it brings me to tears. Um, but what individuals have to understand, the community has to understand is that we do have a kind of a different set of circumstances that some of our scholars experience. So um, I grew up in, in Pittsburgh, and which is a very affluent community, right? Rochester is not affluent. And so many of my scholars have a job, right? They're working as while they're going to school. Um, sometimes they either have other siblings or they have their own children that they have to raise. And so that can bump into their ability to be able to go to school between, you know, seven or eight and three o'clock in the afternoon. So we've developed some online recovery programs and actually um, where our scholars, some of them are learning in the afternoon and evening Mm. online. Um, And again, the pandemic has brought a a whole set of circumstances where some of our scholars there, whether they're in a two or one uh, parent or caregiver family, money has become a problem, right? People have lost their jobs, so they have to work. Mm. And so the resilience that we see in our scholars, and if you notice, we say scholars, we don't say students, um, because it just adds a little more kind of umph that, you know, we expect them to be scholar scholarly. Um, but we have opportunities where they can learn. Um, and I'm actually working on seeing how we might be able to have a virtual school next year, if I can apply to the New York State Education Department. Because some we, we also found out, you know, a challenge is a flip side of an opportunity. We found out that some of our secondary students actually do better mm. online mm. because some of the drama, like when you're in middle school and, you know, the the hormones are raging and <laughs> body parts are growing in different places, you know, our, our you know, our, some of our, our scholars just, they're, gro- they're moving and grooving, mm-hmm. but they don't have that distraction. They're online and they can really focus, mm-hmm. right? And they just... The attendance has been better in some instances online. And so we just have to rethink school. For far too long, we've always thought that the only way you can do school is brick and mortar attendance. Mm -hmm. That's it. But the pandemic showed us that on March 13th was, for some of our scholars still, that was the last day that they physically attended school. So we have to rethink, we have to reimagine it. And I'm, I've stopped saying, let's think outside the box. We've got to blow the box up mm-hmm. and just start completely over again. So we're trying to think how to be much more innovative um, and just not relegate learning to you have to walk up to a school, cross the threshold and go in and learn. And so we're doing some creative things, learning pods. Um, when we were in the fall, we worked with the city of Rochester and we had tutoring and learning assistance going on in the recreation centers, mm-hmm. right? And so not only did our scholars get ed- educated, they got fed, and they could also move about. They could do arts and crafts, craft activities. So we, we have to just think outside mm-hmm. the box and, and really be innovative. Wow. you got to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the superintendent um, asked me to speak more on Faith in Action. So, again... Um, I thank her because it was the idea of her and the mayor. Mm. 
And so she assigned, so I got an email from Tracy. He was voluntold. I was voluntold <laughs> that Ricky will be the point person for the Rochester City School District. Tracy, you, where did that come from? You, you, both, you both are still smiling, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, from the superintendent. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got my assignment. But no, it is. it has truly been a blessing. Um, when she talked about um, that, the non-traditional blow the box up, and again, having government and the district work together when traditionally we don't we don't play in the sandbox well. This was an example of not only taking government and the education system, but taking the faith community. So imagine a three-legged stool, and it's working. Mm. By all means, egos, because we all have egos. <laughs> um, churches, because churches have egos, city, mm -hmm. suburban. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think with God being in the mix is that we brought diversity even in churches. You got um, originally the thought was city churches. We have Hispanic churches. We have little churches. We have suburban mega churches. Mm -hmm. We have mid-sized churches. We have churches, black, white, you name it. They've all come together. Mm -hmm. And the great thing for me is that even when like um, Broncroft, so I'll speak to my Broncroft <laughs> family, that you guys, that with some um, churches, you had, you had a relationship with um, School 10. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you didn't have a problem when we said, oh, we need more help. We got schools. We'll take on another one. So that was a blessing because, again, um, when the superintendent talk about comfort zones um, and we're talking about reconciliation, part of reconciliation is being in those uncomfortable spaces mm -hmm. and stepping out on faith. Point. It's a faith walk. And so for um, my my thought is that that, that praying for that favor and that wisdom is that the food, because again, the Bible speaks of how you're going to hear when you're hungry, how you're going to, you know, learn when you don't have the supply. So again, it's supplying that with love mm -hmm. that has a bigger impact, mm -hmm. a longer term impact, because then you could see people that care about you, not um, saying it, but it's demonstrated, it's being walked out. And so that people can see in this, environment of social injustice that I don't trust you because you don't look like me mm -hmm. that really we're more common beneath the skin color mm -hmm. than we want to say we are um, and it just kind of brings healing because again as people as church people as our community in general as our school educational system as a country as a world we need healing mm -hmm. and healing starts on the inside mm -hmm. and then manifests outside so Amen. that that's a great kind of segue um this past week uh dante wright um was shot uh, by a police officer and um you know there's been a, a lot of conversation online help our listeners and viewers understand what did monday morning after that look like for you two talking with teachers staff students you know help you know, help us understand, we know what's kind of going on on the internet, but there's real people grieving, processing, that are scared. Walk us through that. For me, as an African-American woman, um, and I'm, I posted on Facebook, I have a black husband, I have two black stepsons, 
I have a black nephew, so on and so forth. I have black colleagues. Um, I had to work on first to see where I was, right? Because it really, um, and you were looking at me as it was mentioned, I get very tearful. Dante could have been my son. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just this feeling of helplessness that particularly our black young or seasoned men just continue to be murdered and there's no justice for it. Mm. And that even when we capture it on video, it's still, I mean, I left the house and the defense was saying that maybe George Floyd died because he was exposed to exhaust fumes. Well, he wasn't on the ground willingly, right? And you were holding him down near there. And that's where you have to just say, okay, Lord, help me not to, right? Be ang I can be angry, but not sin. Mm. The word says that, right? Um, and I rest on that scripture a lot of times, <laughs> but it's hard. Um, so I had to work on me first to make sure that I wasn't superimposing all of these feelings that I was experiencing. But um, we have a group that's called Rock Restorative. They're a group of social workers and teachers. Um, we made sure that they were on alert, that we could, we might have students or staff that needed help and some assistance. Um, we have information on our website that talks about how to cope with uh, when an individual is killed by law enforcement. And we talk about social justice and advocacy. So we have lots of resources for staff and for students. Mm -hmm. um, but we also had to prepare that because there has been a lot of protesting, did we need to, and that happens right by central office where Ricky and I work, would we have to have an evacuation plan? Because mm -hmm. if the protesting, some of it has gotten difficult. I, and But I do have to give a, a shout out to Chief Cynthia. She is doing an amazing job as our interim chief of police. Mm -hmm. And I have so much respect for her. Um, but we were just preparing if there were protesting to make sure everyone was safe. We have schools that are um, near where, um, where, um, Oh my gosh, not George Floyd. Um, Daniel, Prude. Daniel Prude was murdered. So we, you know, we need to make sure that those schools are on alert, that if there's protesting, what are we, what are our lockdown, lockout procedures, just to make sure that we keep both our students and staff safe. Mm -hmm. um, so those are things that, you know, none of my other sub suburban counterpart school districts have to be concerned about, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it was just so fascinating my um, deputy superintendent of, of teaching and learning, Dr. Morris, is African-American. She has a, I think her son is 26 years old. We have our one-on-one -on -one meeting every week, and she came in two days ago, and I said, before we get to the agenda, how are you doing? And she shared with me a very personal story relative to her son that involved law enforcement. And we were crying probably five minutes into the story, and I said, I'm so sorry that that happened to your son. And she said, you know what, Leslie? I've been in education, she's been in education just about as long as I have. She said, this is the first time that any type of supervisor just took the time to check in mm. to see how I was doing. So can you see where the counseling background right. Right, comes into yeah. play? And she said, I just wanna say thank you mm. for taking time to just check on me. And this is why I so appreciate working with you and I'm learning how to develop that skill as well as I'm working with the the individuals who, who report to me. So it's just, we have a very specific set, set of um, protocols that we have in place,
But we also have to capitalize, just like this conversation has become very organic, you have to just capitalize on those relationships and just kind of that sense that you get, you know what, I need to see how you're doing. Um, because all of us, uh, Dr. Morris, Melody, and Medisol, who are the closest people, that, and, and my assistant, Simone, we all have sons. Mm-hmm. We all have sons that are either late teens or 20s. And so you feel that as a mom when somebody loses their son. And to see Dante's mom just be so tearful to say, I just talked to him, the phone went dead or he hung up, and then I called back a few moments later and my son was gone. Um, that's just so painful. And, I, you know, and then I worry about my husband, right? And I worry about Ricky, you know, any male that's black or brown, I worry about. Because something that is so routine, that other day was so routine, it turned deadly. Mm-hmm. So what I'll add is that, you know, as an African-American male, certainly um, um, when I think about my nephew, and there's that factor that I believe every person, a family of color, um, has, particularly if they have young males in their family, yeah. whether it's cousin, brother, nephew, it doesn't matter that you have this um, sense of, of awareness that you just don't want that phone call. Right. And where you would say, oh, that's something, a problem in New York, that's a problem in D.C., we had Daniel Prude in Rochester. Mm-hmm. So it, the problem is not going to go away. The problem is how do we address it? Um, a lot of it becomes self-reflection. Um, I don't share... But I can remember, and I'm old enough to say it, back in the in the 90s, I remember going to malls, having hearing car doors locked mm-hmm. because you're an African-American male and you're walking. Mm-hmm. I'm probably somebody that wanted to take a purse. That's the furthest thing from my mind. Certainly I understand it, but right. what people don't understand the a reality of dealing with a situation mm-hmm. like that. Again, uh, my faith and being brought up by my parents, I know I'm better than that, but you know, imagine that just constantly, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's getting out of the car, going to Marketplace, going to Grease Ridge Mm -hmm. Mall, going to Eastview. Um, Mm. I remember one time, let's see, going to Eastview Mall, and yeah, my my tail light was out, didn't know it, in the back, got literally stopped, bright lights, and I'm like, what is going on? Getting ready to turn to Eastview Mall. Again, you know, not the, you know, person officer stopped not that he was nasty or rude but again you don't know and then having that you know your, your tail light was out not necessarily a warning but it was already writing the ticket and I'm sure going through to find out that I have outstanding warrants that I have a record didn't have a record but I got a ticket um so again I think it's just from that lens of things that people that other cultures take, take for, for granted, granted. Mm-hmm. we live it. And it's not like, oh, I go out in the morning and, and um, I'm going to be the anti-white anti, anti you know white or anything, but the skin I have, I can't take off my blackness. Mm-hmm. And so internally, I am who I am. I'm a Christian that happens to be an African-American. But when I go into the world, and even when you look at the case of the, um, because that really resonates with me, the army, guy mm-hmm. who again they tell you because you know we've had hijackings carjackings here locally mm-hmm. and they say you get stopped Stay you don't feel car. comfortable you don't get out of your car you go to a place safe 
and this guy followed all the rules that was supposed to have been done, and he gets maced. He got on a uniform. He's saying, why do you want me to get out of the car? I haven't done anything. And then on one of the newscasts, they put a big old circle. There's his tag. Yeah, his windows were tinted, but his license plate, temporary tags were there. And so, again, the, I think the assumption is that, you know, um, and to um, the superintendent's point, you sometimes feel that your humanity is, oh, it's the fumes, oh, it's this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, George Floyd or anybody had a record, that it is what it is. But because you have a record and you're living your life doesn't mean your life needs to end mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why reconciliation is so important. Because, again, when we talk about the scripture, you know, you can be angry but sin not, these situations, particularly for individual individuals of color, are frustrating. We're angry. We're overwhelmed. We're fearful, right? And you, there's a plethora of words that you could put in there. And, we, you know, it, sometimes you're just like, Lord, you know what? You're going to have to help me today because I am so angry. And, I mean, you even get to the point, I do not want to be angry because it's not every white person who is doing this. Mm-hmm. But you have just this feeling like, it continues to happen. It continues to just be perpetuated. And I know, you know, as Ricky said, I have a bachelor's, a master's, two master's degree and a doctorate. But if I have my Tim's on, Mm -hmm. if I have a hat turned to the back, I'm still considered a risk. Mm -hmm. I'm followed in a store. I'm, you know, I'm profiled. And that is very, very frustrating. I shouldn't have to walk around and say, I'm Dr. Meyer Small, everybody, because that's not how I roll. But you, you just, it's like this constant, like, because of the color of my skin, it's a problem, or you're going to fear me, or you make certain assumptions. And so when you take that back to education, we have to, unfortunately, that's another lesson that we have to teach our children that you are going to unfortunately be judged by the color of your skin rather than the content of your character, but you still have to overcome that and you still have to push forward. And how do you teach that? Like, I know, I mean, for me, I am a 26 year old white woman. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I mean, we were talking about the police and just like being pulled over. I've never been pulled over, but I've never, like, I fear being pulled over because I'm like, I don't know what the registration looks like. I'm like, I don't know where that is in my Mm -hmm. car. Like, I got to figure that stuff out if I'm ever pulled over. Never once have I thought like oh I could like die if I'm pulled over like I've never thought that I've never had the conversation with my parents about that so mm-hmm. like this conversation's happening in homes but here it happening in school too like how are you how do you even teach it mm-hmm. but you have to teach it because mm-hmm. it's you know it's so important because that is it could be the difference between life and death mm-hmm. if you act wrong in a situation so how do you yeah. How? I don't know. Maybe that's, I don't even know what that question is, but um, yeah, bringing it into the schools because you care about these kids mm-hmm. and you care about their lives. I, yeah. I, you capitalize on teachable moments, yeah. right? So you take a time, you pu- take a little bit of a pause and say, okay, you know, I know some teachers um, have a time where they talk about current events and then you have a time, you have an opportunity to unpack, unpack that. Or, you know, in other instances, it's during social-emotional time where we, we talk about this. But, you know, 
we have to because not every parent or caregiver is um, is doing that. But I know, you know, my husband, we have a 13-year-old and a 26-year-old. We have two girls in between the two of them. But he's having that conversation again because mm-hmm. Dante, the Dante situation yeah. happened. The murder happened. He was like, I'm going to have to talk to Chandler, you know, who's 13. You have to have that talk. Mm-hmm. And to Jalen, our oldest, to say, remember, when you're walking, when you're out, when you're in your car, you got to make sure you stick your hands out. And I mean, even my own husband was pulled over in late summer. I could have been a widow if he handled that situation differently. And they searched him for drugs. No cause. It wasn't that they had a, you know, his likeness out there. He was a African-American male driving a BMW. So he looked suspicious. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a hard conversation, but yeah. but you both, um, you know, Ricky, you said it about being in uncomfortable places. This is this is what we're supposed to do. Um, as as we think about education and reconciliation, um, racial reconciliation is a huge component. Mm-hmm. Poverty is a huge component. Um, you know, just we're having this series because we're talking about the gospel. Um, because that's kind of where we're all starting from that assumption. If you could wave a magic wand and if God said, you know what, Ricky and Dr. Meyer Small, give me a vision of what reconciliation could look like in the next two to three years. What would that look like for both of you? Oh, you want me to start? (laughs) Okay. Um, Were you voluntold? Yeah, I was voluntold. <laughs> yes, the I said it. Like, you're going first this time. <laughs> well, I've been talking. I don't want to overcapitalize either. Um, so let me explain it this way to answer your point. So one of the things that um, I have personally done during the pandemic is that I need this p- sense of peace. And one of the things that I've done is that with my cell phone, because people swear I have a professional camera, but I don't, <laughs> that I've been taking pictures of just nature that mm-hmm. capture the beauty of, 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 of that moment, that peace be still moment. And mm-hmm. so for me, the beauty of that is part of the reconciliation of what I would see for schools is that that beauty that I see in that tree, that beauty I see in that bird, that beauty I see in that hillside, that beauty I see in that river, that same beauty would be reflected and seen by my student scholars in our district. It would be seen by our staff and it would be seen by our community. Mm-hmm. That the humanity in our student scholars, mm-hmm. that whether I live on Joseph Avenue or Jefferson Road out in Pittsburgh, that I would have the vision of looking at our student scholars and say they can be anything they want to be. Mm-hmm. Dr. Meyer Small is a doctor. A non-traditional. I came through the city school district, went through a lot of channels, but I'm back in the school district as a administrator working with volunteers. So again, I always, I use the scenario of, and I'll be, be transparent. So, and I don't know if my formal supervisor, Nydia Padilla Rodriguez is listening because she knows this story well. And I don't, Dr. Mark Small doesn't even know the story. So it was probably, I've been in the district about six years, probably about three years ago. Nice, 
clear summer day. So me and Nydia, we were worker, co-worker, but she always hated for me to call her supervisor. Let's go, because we work downtown, let's go get something to eat. So we went to this um, restaurant, we're eating, and I'm not feeling good. So literally, in the course of us eating, I passed out, I threw up, I didn't know it. So of course, imagine your supervisor seeing you pass out. Next thing I know, it's ambulance, and again, how God is in the mix. The police that showed up at the scene was one of my fellow um, members at my church. Mm -hmm. So how comforting is that to look up, cops on the scene, I know him personally. Mm -hmm. And so, Nydia, you know, I'm going to call your brother. I'm going to make sure you're all right. You know, I'm carted off in ambulance. And I had never been in an ambulance ride. You know, you see it on the shows, but it's a whole different thing when you're <laughs> in an ambulance riding. So what I say that to say that when I went to the hospital, I had doctors that looked at me. I'm not going to be saying, oh, I want a black doctor or a white doctor, or an Asian doctor, or a Hispanic doctor. I want a doctor. And I want a nurse, and I want staff that can get me well. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about that reconciliation, you don't know the gift that God has put on that individual, mm -hmm. regardless of who they are. And when I talked about the beauty of those nature scenes, you don't know the beauty that God has deposited in that student scholar. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about reconciliation, we know that God puts gifts and talents in each one of us. And our responsibility, particularly as people of faith, is to ensure that each and every person gets the best of their ability to have those gifts and talents for the world. Because we don't know within the Rochester City School District, who was that Martin Day, Martin Luther King, could be sitting in one of the classrooms, mm -hmm. half sleep, and teachers are getting on him or her, but yet with a little guidance, with a little support, maybe from some food, from our faith and action partners, from them coming in and volunteering and showing love would be the difference of that person going the prison, the, that pathway, the prison pipeline, mm. or becoming that mm. person that God has ordained them to be. That's really good. Dr. Meyer Small, you He said that beautifully. You know, honestly, there's a lot of touch points um, that overlap with what I was going to say in, in that um, a lot of times we do a visual scan of young people. And, and I think about, you know, when pre-pandemic, pre when we used to hang out at the mall or go to the mall, and we'd see, you know, you see teenagers and you see older folks look at them and just like, oh my God, they're so annoying. Look at them. They're so bad. They're rude. They're disrespectful, right? We take that quick visual scan and that few moments, we form an opinion about what that young person is. And I think, you know, that I think that happens across the board. Um, that we just take this quick intake and we're just like, mm, you know, that Leslie Myers, she's never going to amount to anything. Mm -hmm. She's a tr she's loud. She's unruly. She doesn't want to listen. And I think reconciliation, and I, I believe it's, it, what is, I think it's Ephesians 4.32, where it talks about being tenderhearted and kind and forgiving as Christ forgave us. Mm -hmm. It's that we just don't know what that backstory is. We don't know that Leslie... Her father hit his mom, and she saw that, and so she's she's struggling with that. Or that the heat was turned off, and they're living with a kerosene heater to keep warm, right? And so that's why she's acting up. And so that grace and that patience and that loving kindness that we need to have. And I mean, you know, 
whether the student is in Rochester or my former district, Brockport, Pittsford, et cetera, um, each of our students have a story. And we have students, I'll use a, my, my maternal grandmother's term, that just get on our last nerve, right? We're just like, you just, you just exist to upset me, don't you, <laughs> right? We have those students, but we just don't know what their story is. Mm -hmm. So for me, reconciliation is that we have that patience and that grace of Ephesians 4.32, that we're just being kind and that we're not, whether it's race or socioeconomic status or creed because or religion, because we even know right now, if you are of the Muslim faith of our students, you're seeing a hard time right now because of just current events that are going on in the world. So whatever that demographic or that ism that you can apply, racism, sexism, Etc. That we just have that grace, 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 and patience, and being and kind to one another, and so that's what I would want to see. That we, as Ricky said, that we just are thinking the best. And even though this particular student is very outwardly loud, and but they have leadership skills. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, that was the <laughs> that was the changing um, force in my life. My junior year, I was giving my French four on, honors teacher. Oh, I was just so unruly, I was telling the class, don't listen to her. I was very disruptive. She held me after class, and I was like, what? What do you have to say to me, Mrs. Hume Nigro? And she's still living. <laughs> uh, she's still a mentor. And she said, Leslie, I just want you to know, you are leading the class right now. You control the class. The class is doing whatever you say. But here's the thing. You are so bright. You have leadership capability. And I'm going to need your help because I'm not going to be able to move this class forward unless I have your help. And rather than just say, I'm going to give you, I'm going to suspend you, or I'm going to give you a detention. She said, you have so much potential that's there. You're just using your quote unquote powers for evil rather than good. I just need you to turn that around. And I walked out of that classroom like she believes in me. She thinks I have leadership mm -hmm. skills and I'm smart and no problems from me for the rest of the year. And it's that grace because we all know that we all fall short of the glory of God. As a, as a 50, almost 52 year old, I fall short every day. Mm. And what if, if the Lord was just like, oh, you messed up Les, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna bless you. I'm not going to extend grace to you. I would be in a lot of trouble right now, right? So we just have to have that with one another. Man, this episode went by too fast. Can we can we have you both back on? Um, sure. So we uh, we love to close uh, the episode with what Jesus has to say about it. So the good news, this is what we say every episode. Alyssa and I are going to answer whatever heresy or we mess up, you both get to clean it up at the end. Does that sound good? So Alyssa, what does Jesus have to say about reconciliation in our local schools? Do you want me to go first or do you want to go? Uh, I can I can start. You're ready. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. Let's go. Well, uh, Ricky, actually, he, I was, as I was preparing for this question, you already touched on it, but um, I think like what, for me, what comes, what it comes back to is just dignity and treating people like people. So for students, especially scholars, sorry, scholars, uh, I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for people, you want to be treated with dignity. I think Jesus did that really well, obviously. He looked past the circumstances. He looked past whether you were a woman or if you were sick or, you know, 
whatever, whatever the circumstance was, he looked right past that, saw you for you. Mm -hmm. And that is what we are supposed to do. So, and when you, like you were talking with your, um, with your teacher, that is something that's like those actions, those words at a young age are so important Mm -hmm. because that is going to set this kid up for the next step of their lives. So the next actions or behaviors that come oftentimes are from the voices that are speaking at them to them when they're young so if you're looking at a student and you're speaking in a dignifying way to them as people even though they're young Mm -hmm. even if they're you know the most annoying kid or you know just causing trouble if you're teaching them that they are worth something because they're humans and they're made in this image that they're made in the image of God and they just are, yeah, they're just worth something like that's, I don't know. I just feel like that dignity piece is so important because then they can grow in Mm -hmm. this area of self value and self worth instead. And then, yeah. So I just think education and, It's just so important because you're like the weight is important um, on these kids that are just growing up and they're going to face hard stuff. And yeah, and I just think Jesus, to be like Jesus is just to look past all the crap, whether it's, I said crap on the show i'm sorry i don't know i don't know what i'm allowed to it, say it's but. a it's <laughs> it's greek somewhere i don't know it's in the new um, testament <laughs> but just to look past their circumstances and just truly care about them care about their success in the world and yeah just for their lives i think that is just so important for educators and administrators and volunteers and yeah just to truly look at kids people um that look different than you look the same as you but just treat them with dignity so mm. appreciate that um you know as you both were talking you know i'm thinking about paul who wrote the majority of the new testament mm-hmm. who if we would have met paul before he knew jesus he would have said you don't belong because you weren't circumcised you don't belong because you're not jewish mm-hmm. And he's the writer of scripture that says, hold on a second, if you're not circumcised, you still belong to Jesus. Hold on a second, Timothy, you're you're Greek? No, you come with me. And I think what the church can learn from education, there's a ton of Pauls and Timothys that are changing the generations one relationship at a time. There's a ton of... You two, whether it's a black teacher with a white student or whether it's a student that, you know, has means with a teacher that grew up in poverty, there's these stories of of a legacy of kind of these individuals that shouldn't fit together. And that's what the gospel tells us, individuals that shouldn't fit together. Yet the legacy of Christianity is Paul, who originally said, you don't belong was the hugest advocate to individuals that now belong. And that's part of why even all of us are here today. I think the theme runs through to what I'll say. Um, 
what I, I know Jesus said and what he would say about this is that you have to just meet people right where they are. Mm. He hung out with folks that, you know, the Pharisees were like, mm, uh, what are you doing? You know, why are you hanging out with, you know, tax collectors, prostitutes, et cetera? And I'm not making that analogy back to my students, my scholars at all. But he just met people right where they were. He didn't take, you know, a preconceived notion and just even think about the, I love the, the passage that talks about the woman with the issue of blood and when she touched his garment, right? And he said, wait a minute, somebody touched me, mm-hmm. right? And he met her right where she, she was. And she had a past, right? She had a history. He was like, I don't care about that. Your faith has healed you, right? Mm-hmm. And so we just have to not think about what even our our individuals pass are just meet people right where they are Mm -hmm. and just love them in that moment in that space because we all fall short again of the of the glory of god and i i I often have to say if that starts that righteous indignation starts to rise up that you know ye who is without sin let him cast the first stone and then i'm just like yep let me just put my hands right back (laughs) in my pocket so i just believe in meeting people where they are Mm. And so for me to wrap up, I go to the scripture, love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. And so first, when you talk about the pandemic, it has caused us to think about ourselves on so many different levels, like a self reflection of how, how do we like ourselves? How do we, how are we dealing with our health? How are we dealing with the pandemic? How are we dealing with our neighbors? And so my thing is that if internally, because Christ died so we can be reconciled to him. And if we deal with ourselves, with our own reconciliation, how do we then treat our neighbor? And who mm-hmm. is our neighbor? Is our neighbor the person next door? Is our neighbor in the inner city when we live in the suburbs or in the rural areas? Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is everybody. What a great way to close. Um, if you want to listen to this podcast, make sure you go to com. Subscribe your email. Um you know, so Ricky, you're, you're on Facebook. You share some peaceful photos, right? Is that sometimes? sometimes. I, need sometimes. I need to do it more. <laughs> and then, uh, Dr. Meyer Small, you're, you're one of my favorite uh, Twitter follows, and uh, I, th- I think you're on LinkedIn. So, I am. Is, is that are, are those the two best places to reach you? Or? Mm-hmm. Okay, love it, folks. We hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.